want to introduce you to Nick Nanikos, the CEO of Ziki. His vision is to become the fastest growing restaurant on the planet with a master plan of becoming the Tesla of food. He's raised $5 million from Gigafund, Elon Musk's core investors. In the past seven months, they've opened 10 new Ziki locations in Austin alone. And they've completely automated their business by recently acquiring a kitchen robotics startup that should increase their output by 3x. You're going to love this episode. Let's get to it. Man, welcome to the intro. No need for introductions. All about the world and the world what we discussing. Where every single thought that we had came for something. So it's funny that we made it when we started here with nothing. Gotta open up your mind just to find out why. When you lost inside the dark, just gotta turn on the light. And no matter what you do, you never run from a fight. Because we fighting to be better and that's why we strive. Um, sweet, I'm here with the founder of Ziki, Nick Nanakos, and uh, we met, I swear we met on Rainy Street or something like that? No. Yes. <laughs> many, years many, years, many, many years ago. That, the first few months I was in Austin seemed like a decade ago, but uh, you want to give a quick preview on who you are and we'll kind of get to the podcast? Yeah. So, my name is Nick Nanakos, uh, founder and CEO of Ziki. Um, quickly on my story so originally from New York come mm. from a huge restaurant entrepreneurial background mm. you know grandfather came from Greece started with a hot dog stand in Manhattan love it the rest nice. of the family came over got into restaurants so mm. um, we own diners steakhouses cafes all of that and, cool uh, my mother owned several Greek restaurants in New York mm. called Zetziki and so that's the oh, abbreviated cool. name so that's named after the most iconic sauce mm. in Greek cuisine which is you know yo- Greek yogurt olive oil cucumber dill uh, it's like just a very. That's what that's what ziki sauce is. That's what ziki sauce is. Oh, well, we have a we have a chipotle ziki as well. Oh, cool. So, um, and so yeah, you know, just restaurant experts in my family my entire life. So growing up, basically, if I wasn't in the restaurant in the kitchen mm. with my mother, I was on job sites with my father, who was in construction and painting. Um, I went to school in Philadelphia. So I started my first company. I was studying finance and real estate. I loved mm. land. I loved numbers. I hated corporate. Um, so this is an important part of the story, but it's I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Mm-hmm. But it leads into how Ziki was born. And so yeah. basically, I go to school. Um, there's food trucks everywhere. And so <clears throat> my first company is a software around food trucks for consumers oh, cool. and food truck owners. So basically... Customers download our app, they find all the food trucks, order ahead, pick up delivery, etc. Mm. Trucks have their own app, receive orders, receive analytics, and, and whatnot. So cool. I end up signing up like 150 food truck owners door to door, drop out of school, move to Austin, Texas. The reason I quickly mentioned that part of the story is because that was basically years of specific knowledge gathering mm-hmm. around this obsession around the unit economics of mobile kitchens. Yeah. So I'm like, these these food trucks, they're, they're mobile kitchens, mm-hmm. and they have explosive growth, and they're way less... Uh, costly to start oh for sure and, yeah, yeah but they don't have technology mm-hmm. so anyway i drop out i moved to austin texas when i moved to austin texas i meet this food truck owner who i wanted to sign up to the platform and actually mm-hmm. I, I ended up having this epiphany moment when mm-hmm. i met him he's running a 16 foot food truck mediterranean concept doing a hundred thousand in sales per month that's, which is that's unheard insane. of it's wow. really serious volume in his show wait wait, wait what area of austin is in he was uh by like east caesar chavez area oh gotcha okay gotcha park. gotcha okay and um, basically, he, he was crushing it, and he had a very sophisticated operation, was leveraging technology, so a lot oh, of cool. delivery and everything. So 
I have this big epiphany moment. I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't want to do this software plan food trucks. I mm-hmm. want to create the most significant company to ever exist in food. Yeah, yeah. And that entails becoming fully vertically integrated and having this mm-hmm. factory production model where we're actually going to manufacture our own modular restaurants from this giga factory, this giga ziki, as we call it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what we do. We manufacture modular restaurants with unstoppable unit economics. Mm-hmm. And the brand that we scale out of these modular restaurants is Ziki. And Ziki is mm-hmm. a Greek and Mexican fusion food concept. We use no seed oils, no vegetable oils, no soy. Very mm-hmm. health-driven, very health-focused. We work with the best farms in all of Texas and mm-hmm. many suppliers. You know, Grass-fed butters is what we use, grass-fed milks pasture-raised eggs, animal-based ghee. We take this back-to-basics fundamental approach on what's actually healthy for you, and Mm -hmm. we want to re-architect the toxic food system, which is currently poisoning people everywhere throughout the world, right? Mm -hmm. We can get into the whole seed oil thing, but um, basically that's what we do, and we we really can manufacture a ton of these things per month with a process that nobody else in the world has, and we're actually the only restaurant company on the planet that manufactures their own expansion. Nobody else, in, no other restaurant oh, very company. very cool. And operates the units. We mm-hmm. don't just build them and pass them off. We yeah, build yeah. them, mm-hmm. and then we find the real estate, put them on site. We handle all the permitting, mm-hmm. hire the chefs, train them, and operate them. So mm-hmm. if Chipotle wants to open 100 restaurants, they sign 100 brick-and-mortar leases. Mm-hmm. We want to open 100 restaurants. We build 100 restaurants and operate them. <laughs> I love that. And we can do it orders of magnitude faster and better mm-hmm. with better margins and, and uh, better economics overall. So a lot to break down at all that. A lot of questions just came up. Uh, I want to get to the seed oil thing because I know nothing about seed oil eventually. But first and foremost, I wanted to say when I was making these questions, I was it was a, at night. I was trying to do a little fast, trying to not, not eat for like 20 hours, something like that. Okay. And it was really tough because I was going through your website and all these images were popping up. And I almost broke my fast <laughs> to go grab a snack because I was That's getting good. so hungry, man. And I, I've had I've had Ziki multiple times. It is so delicious. I had never had Greek food before. Um, I had it once in Washington State. Then I moved to Austin. I started going to these, um, you know, getting euros and stuff like that. I was I didn't know what euros were. I didn't. I was saying gyro. You know what I mean. I didn't know what I was doing. Either one actually works. <laughs> oh, either one works. Yeah. Oh, good to know. Random little fact for everybody. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know anything about it. And then I tried your Ziki product. I love Mexican food, and I fell in love with euros. And then the combination was just mm-hmm. like, oh, dude, huge fan, huge fan. Had all the homies going to it. Um, but uh, how did starting off in the restaurant business like get you started for this because I've worked in restaurants before and I know a little bit but I can't imagine like at an early age jumping into the restaurant world and then when you're an adult being able to run one I, like what, what kind of stuff did you learn growing up that helped you run the business yeah that's a very good question mm-hmm. it's actually I would say critical to the story because mm-hmm. I can't even explain the number of times also the amount of time that I just spent in restaurants yeah, yeah. from like five years old. Are you doing homework and stuff like that there? I, like, I live, we lived there. It was yeah, like me yeah. and my cousins basically always there because my family was all in business together. So mm-hmm. like my mother and father owned a massive diner with my uncles and my grandparents. Oh, wow. and it was like me, it was like all of our relatives mm-hmm. uh, and all of our cousins there and all the cousins, there's like 12 cousins. So there's mm-hmm. like a lot of us and you know, that's how we grew up. But it's those little lessons that you learn because my grandfather Again, he started the whole restaurant thing throughout our family, mm-hmm. right? And and he's very meticulous and very picky and very specific and mm-hmm. just very observant about everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I actually was just with him this past weekend. I got to see my whole family. We were at a, my, my nephew's christening, and it was a great moment. But mm-hmm. it was the first time also I brought a ton of Ziki, and the whole entire family got to extend oh, the family cool. got to try it, and they freaked out, and they loved it. <laughs> nice. But it's the little lessons. It's like the extra napkin 
that goes in the trash when it doesn't need to, the ketchup mm -hmm. packet that wasn't used that you need to bring back. The, those it's cost control mm -hmm. to a large extent and consistency and like you might think okay well it's just a napkin like mm -hmm. uh, on an average unit cost like what is that like three cents or yeah, whatever yeah. but compounded by how many orders and how many times across how many customers you know we, we served over 20,000 orders last month alone That's a lot of napkins a lot of napkins <laughs> it's just compounded yeah. costs right 100%. so you know it's like keeping control on your two your two costs it's mm -hmm. uh it's labor and food, and with mm -hmm. labor, those are ultimately some of the biggest lessons that I learned from the family. Hundred percent. And then same same question, basically, but like when you were working with these food trucks, um, I mean, same concept. Like I, I went from a B to C in the fitness space to a B to B in the fitness space. So like I feel like I took my first experiences into my second one. So when you're working with all these food trucks, making the app, like what little things along the way were you kind of noticing that you're like, oh my God, if I ran a food truck, I would never do this. Or like, I would, this is a good idea. I'm going to use this for my food truck. I think the biggest, uh, the biggest thing behind Ziki's success ultimately would probably point to its full vertical integration. Mm -hmm. When you're in control of everything, you have a very, very lethal advantage that a lot of mm -hmm. other companies don't do. I don't like to wait on people. I don't like to say, we want to build a restaurant and so-and-so is building it for us. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, supply chain delayed. Like, I want to be in control of that and I want mm -hmm. my team to be in control of that and I want to set up the systems and processes that allow for us to do that in the best way possible. Yeah. So, the full vertical integration gives you the control not only over food, not only over the recipes, not only over the execution on the food items itself, not mm -hmm. only on which real estate you're picking, not only so you know we don't we don't franchise any units. We own and operate every single unit. Mm -hmm. We can point to Chipotle as an example here. Chipotle yeah. is, now has a 57 billion market cap. Mm -hmm. They're crushing it. Yeah, three thousand, I think over three thousand five hundred stores all owned and operated by them. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So. Um, yeah, when you ask what what would I not do, I mean, I could go on forever. It's like mm -hmm. just the, the truck itself, the design. The mm -hmm. designs don't support the cuisine in many cases. It's like if you, if if the fryer's on the complete other side of the restaurant and fried items You're go, just running back and forth. You're yeah, even yeah. running back and forth. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a system where one person is basically overseeing a station and there's a good, uh, there's a synergistic operations between chefs and they know how to maneuver that unit for the highest output possible then you're going to obviously have an increase in sales because you can mm -hmm. handle more volume and more efficiently and customers mm -hmm. hate waiting for food. yeah so so with that point point specifically when you were mocking that up did you kind of do like a, a ux ui type thing where you have the food truck and you're like, okay well, if i'm here then i'm doing this and like how did you pick the most efficient way to make your truck so i'm incredibly design focused i, I love, design. Like, love yeah, design me yeah. too yeah. i'm obsessed with design mm -hmm. um and i think design is in everything i think if you look at tesla and apple they're design companies you got among, you got a tesla there you go exactly <laughs> among many things yeah, they're yeah. design companies right you look mm -hmm. at the door handles you look at everything that they do is the subtleties mm -hmm. right so uh, i had heard a great quote from a good friend and somebody that's really smart in, in Austin as well, David Peril, mm -hmm. and uh, he said product is subtlety compounded. So it's the Ooh. little things that you're constantly, you know, you're constantly iterating on. And um, it's the subtleties. So the first rendering was basically actually on a whiteboard and I just mm -hmm. drew it and I said like there should be a kiosk here and big giant windows that are going to allow for a lot of natural light so that the chefs don't feel that they're operating out of a prison block because no. that's one of the big things for food trucks mm. it's dark yeah, yeah. it's dark and lonely and they're kind of like doing this yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. there's one window yeah, yeah. the pickup window well we have massive windows centered in the truck yeah. huge light comes in they can see the street they can see it, it feels um, 
it's just energizing. And then for the customer, it's important too because they're standing outside of our unit. Mm -hmm. They look through the window, and right behind it is the refrigerators with mm -hmm. with uh, all the ingredients fresh. So it creates that level of trust and transparency for mm -hmm. the customer. No, hundred percent. No, and I'll put a picture up while you're while you're speaking of the the Ziki truck. Yes. What do you call it? A truck? What do you call it? Or uh, the public, like most customers, call it truck a truck. Yeah, they yeah. equate it in their brain to a food truck. It's mm -hmm. not a food truck. It doesn't have an engine. We don't move them around. Mm -hmm. We can move them, which is a beautiful part of the model, right? Like, what if a location just doesn't work out? We can always pick it up. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That said, um, we call them either like modular units mm -hmm. or trailers. Cool. But, but, but truck isn't like derogatory to you, though. Let's not, no, yeah. it's just yeah, I, you're kind of used to it. We yeah. internally call it unit. Like cool. this unit needs to move, or that's a great unit, or that unit performed well, or gotcha. the trailer. We rarely say truck but it's not derogatory it's fine it's okay whatever. we'll make sure i'm whatever. not like <laughs> yeah. simplicity is simplicity yeah. wins so whatever yeah, yeah. people can do to wrap it around their head it's easier it's fine very cool and similar to starting off with the design of the truck how i don't know your culinary background how did you start this company and the food's fire so we'll we'll, we'll skip that part the food is amazing so how did you make these recipes? Do you have like a chef you worked with? Are you just kind of like, yo, I'm just kind of good at this stuff? How did you get to that point? It was really a culmination of multiple things. So it mm -hmm. started with my, my mother's restaurants, tzatziki. Mm -hmm. A lot of parallels to what they were doing there too, from the sauces to the recipes. So the tzatziki sauce that we have is the most authentic one you're really probably going to find in the United States. So is that like a family recipe? That's or? my mother's recipe oh, for the yeah, sauce. Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah, cool. and... and this people go nuts over that. We had mm -hmm. one writer do a story. It says Ziki plots global culinary domination. Nice. This guy lived in Greece for two years. He said the sauce is better than what I had in Greece. So I mean, and there's a few items that carried over. There was my mother's uh, cuisine was extremely creative, and then mm -hmm. we basically took it to the next level at Ziki. And you you unlock a lot of creativity by basically infusing Mexican with Greek mm -hmm. because number one it doesn't exist mm -hmm. and number two the ingredients work well together because Greeks yeah. don't really have spice in their cuisine and many mm, other gotcha. they don't have avocado they don't have mm -hmm. a lot of certain things that I just knew would fuse well together and then um, also there's a really incredible culinary expert on our team named Mo and mm -hmm. he's just a recipe master and so we've iterated product after product it's like testing, so cool. testing the same item or burrito a hundred times mm -hmm. until we nail it and I went to your website, again, when I was making these questions the other night, and I noticed, like, a couple of new items on there. I, well, like, what are, what are some new items that you launched recently, and, like, why did you put those on the menu? So the most recent new item, I would say, that's performing insanely well. It skyrocketed up to, I think, number three on our entire menu, mm -hmm. and it was launched very recently because we've been – Ziki's been open for um, a little bit over a year and basically, I mean, in, in a year's time, we'll talk about what we've done in the funding and everything mm -hmm. like that. But in a year's time, we opened up from one location to ten locations in less than seven months. Yeah, that's insane. So, um, yeah. What was the question? Uh, the, the new menu item. The new menu. So the item is the Smash Burger. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I saw it, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah, so yeah. good. It, so yeah, brioche bun, garlic butter, toasted bun. Mm -hmm. um, fig spread so it's a little sweet and mm -hmm. then a grass-fed wagyu beef patty oh. and then feta that's imported from europe mm -hmm. and then on top of that balsamic glaze and then Dude. diced onion and it's insane <laughs> we're gonna use that as a short on instagram that's gonna just do numbers it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it sounded really so will. good it really will. i mean yeah, yeah. the first bite into oh. it you're just like brain explodes because you never had anything like it is that 
um, so that's not Mexican, but that has like a, that's more of a Greek infused like burger than basically. I would say so, yeah, okay, yeah. gotcha, Greeks, gotcha. We, we have kind of things that are like burger patties. They're called bifteki and like gotcha. like patties. So it, the feta, the fig, and figs are big in Greek cuisine as well. Mm-hmm. One other item I would talk about too is the yaya smoothie, which is usually mm-hmm. my breakfast, and it's um, just five simple ingredients. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, banana, avocado, raw unfiltered honey, grass-fed milk, and cinnamon. And that's it. Okay. And it's just like like a, a bowl or a smoothie or what smoothie. was that? Smoothie got smoothie. you very cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That sounds smoothie. good. And it's, that means grandma. Green. Might have to go pick that up. Uh, how do you go about getting rid of a menu item? So let's say the smash burger is killing it, and let's say you have like a ten items in your menu. The tenth one's not really pulling it. Do you just get rid of it and then maybe offer it to people remember it, or how does that work? That's a good question too. Um, recently, we slashed off some things. I think it entails. Uh, data and instinct. Okay. So we look at the data and we say, is it how much are these items selling? Mm-hmm. And less so about an item mm-hmm. than the individual ingredients that make up an item. Oh, true. So a lot of times it's like, do we really need jalapenos on the menu? We didn't. So gotcha. I jalapenos. It entails a lot of decisiveness. And there are oftentimes mm-hmm. hard decisions because people have Someone's going to want a jalapeno. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Someone's yeah. going to want it. Yeah. But yeah. is it make or break? And for every one item that mm-hmm. we add to the menu, the rule is that we slash two. Oh, damn. To keep things simple. Because then the menu will get out of control. Oh, for sure. So it's, it's prioritizing, uh, you know, we have all these feature requests. Which one do we choose? And then kind of with you, it's like you guys want to build everything internally, which obviously is working very well. Mm-hmm. But at what at what point you're like okay, but we're not going to make our own napkins, or we're not going to like you know create our own garbage bags. So at what right. point do you stop? And then you kind of just mentioned the fact that you know you kind of track your data and all that. So did you guys build your own internal data software, or did you guys just kind of outsource that software? So we're building yeah. our own. Complete I knew you were. Data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, okay. so data is yeah. all handled by us. Okay. Um, obviously, we pull data from different funnels, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, but our mm-hmm. software is all aggregated. So we, we use the third-party marketplaces like DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, mm-hmm. and so on. But that funnels into one tablet. Toast is our POS software. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're building and getting ready to launch the Zeki app, which is built completely by us, which cool. will be the best and most intimate way that a customer can order through Zeki. Love it. Rewards and competitive pricing. So it'll be cheaper mm-hmm. to order through the Zeki app than it will be anywhere else. Very cool. Um, that launches next month. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, but to your question about, like, where do you stop? Like, are you going to build your own napkins? I think you have to take a practical approach. Mm-hmm. But I look at it from the standpoint of what are the biggest things that are going to prohibit us from moving as fast as we'd like to? Mm-hmm. If somebody's very good at making napkins and produce them at a reasonable <laughs> yeah. price, then we're not going to go and start making napkins, right? Yeah, yeah. But if there are things that consistently prove to be a problem, say, across supply chain or, say, for example, um, we look at refrigerators in our units. Mm-hmm. We buy True Refrigerators, which are the best brand in restaurants for refrigerators. Is what the brand's called, True? Yeah. Gotcha, true. Okay. For the most part, they're, like, renowned to be the best. Gotcha. But that said, we're like, okay, there's – on those fr- refrigerators, there's, like, a foot from the floor of just, like, legs that, that elevate the fridge. Mm-hmm. And then all, also from the roof or the top – the fridge there's like a huge gap so we're like there's really not like we're losing space capacity mm. so if we built our own refrigerators we could go ceiling to floor mm. compressor you know it positioned better and we would significantly increase the amount of inventory that we can have in a unit and that's mm-hmm. very important interesting the more capacity you have out of these units the more you can serve and the less logistical requirements you need for example mm-hmm. we ran out of 
fajitas. Mm-hmm. Now somebody's got to go and deliver those fajitas to the truck. But if it had mm-hmm. the full capacity, then even better. So we're going to be building yeah. our own refrigerators, our own tables, and things like that. Damn. But practicality is important in this too because I'm not yeah. going to build nap- produce napkins. <laughs> I love that, right? Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> exactly. But honestly, yeah. Yeah. We'll how how does that work owning a, a truck or a unit then like the fajita example you know uh, how do you how do you budget for how many fajitas you're going to need in a day obviously you use a lot of data but and then if that goes wrong is it literally just somebody like or uh, what's that app called uh, I can't remember the name of it but just ordering the fajitas or they run into the store to get fajitas like how does that work no so basically you look at it like this we have a factory from the factory mm. we manufacture the modular restaurants mm. then we find the real estate and we put them on the hottest sites right mm. and then we hire the chefs and we run it so that is a launched open restaurant mm-hmm. turnkey now we have a new Ziki location mm-hmm. okay but 10 locations across the mm. entire city where do they source the food from how mm-hmm. do they prepare so we have a commissary mm-hmm. and a commissary is basically a commercial kitchen our commissary is about like 20 minutes uh, north from uh, all of our locations. It's the cent- central point of logistics. Is it like near here, kind of? Uh, sort of, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's located in Texas's largest commercial kitchen. We have cool. a massive private unit inside there, and so mm-hmm. all of the food suppliers from farms, uh, you know, different food suppliers throughout the country, fajitas, avocados, chicken, all the produce goes to that commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. We have a big set of employees that are operating that. And they're cutting veggies and making sauces and making fresh baklava and preparing everything for the modular units. And then we have refrigerated sprinter vans that load up the ingredients and they make deliveries every single day of freshly cooked ingredients. And this model is more sanitary, by the way, Mm -hmm. but also more cost effective as well Mm -hmm. so that the the chefs at the trucks are capable of just focusing on execution. Oh, they're not like... They're not sitting there cutting veggies for six hours. It would be insane. Damn. and, And then to your point about how accuracy around order inventory and fulfillment basically Mm -hmm. all of our software aggregates with the amount of orders Mm -hmm. that were sold and so we know that if they sold a chicken bowl then there's say five ounces of chicken in that bowl works down five ounces on chicken and so basically everything is automated and then the chefs will do one one safety check basically to not fully rely on the software to Mm -hmm. make sure okay I need more fajitas and they place the order it goes to the commissary commissary then fulfills that every single damn so you're getting like you know you're selling 10 smash burgers and like well you know we're gonna need some brioche buns here in the next like 5 hours and then that kind of go because everything on the back end of the software is mapped against each Mm -hmm. item so we know that if at the at the uh, very like first stage of the process if a brioche bag has 8 buns in it Mm -hmm. um, then we know that we delivered say let's just simplicity deliver one bag of brioche buns to one of our locations mm-hmm. now they have eight and if they sold seven burgers mm-hmm. then they have one brioche bun remaining and the mm-hmm. software knows how to recognize that because we've already in the back end mapped out each individual item so gotcha. it's already, everything's accounted for but safety yeah. checks by humans as well of course. I'm not going to fully rely on robots <laughs> like, yeah. but you need both like Zeke yeah. is an intelligent theater where humans and robots share the stage nice. and we'll talk more I about like robots because we just basically acquired well, not basically. We just acquired a kitchen robotics company that built a grain bowl robot that can make mm. 300 grain bowls per hour. What is a grain bowl? Sorry. I'm a grain sure. bowl is yeah. like if you go to Chipotle, a bowl, a rice bowl, oh, gotcha. a bowl. Oh, like, sorry. It'll, it'll make the bowl it with the ingredients. The bowl 
300 of them per hour. Yeah. So we acquired this company. I met the founders, brilliant guys, and an engineering team of 10. This acquisition actually just finished last week. I nice. was working on it for seven months, so Very I'm cool. happy to announce it. There, now, yeah, there we go. Huge, huge there win. You go. Yeah, it's the first time it's being published. There we go. Now, so there we go. There you go. Uh, but it's a, a massive victory because it's the step that basically takes Ziki and, and unlocks us and brings us closer to our master plan, and that mm-hmm. master plan is becoming the Tesla of food. Very cool. So this puts in that automation component. We're going to be building custom mm-hmm. robots ground up from our factory mm-hmm. and handling all that automation ourselves, specific to Ziki, and putting them into each modular unit from the factory and then shipping them out at a speed that no one in the world can do. I love that. And so obviously this this uh, kitchen setup makes a lot of sense when you have 10 units in a city but I feel like if you only had one unit in a city it'd be kind of weird to have one truck going back and forth so when you expand to let's say Dallas have you expanded to Dallas? Not yet. Got, no. Gotcha okay so when you expand to Dallas We're is going it going to Austin, Miami and then probably Dallas. Oh very cool okay. Miami's next. So you expand to Miami next and then are you going to have to open up a lot of locations at the same time in order for that to like make sense financially or, or um, what? It's always better Speed yeah. speed is great for your economics, right? But mm-hmm. um, we will do that naturally because mm-hmm. we have the ability to build up to 20 modular restaurants from our cool. factory per month. Cool. Very so cool. Nice. we got our launch velocity when we were scaling Austin mm-hmm. at 10 locations in seven months. We got it toward the end of hitting that 10 goal. Mm-hmm. We were able to open a new restaurant from factory to being open for business in two weeks. So sick. You could build from <laughs> nothing exists, yeah. build a full-blown modular restaurant, obtain mm-hmm. the proper permits, mm-hmm. right? Uh, find the real estate and sign the lease, hire mm-hmm. and train all the chefs, and all that's done within two weeks. That is so sick. You compare this, if we're going to talk about like <coughs> comparative to other people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Let's take sweet cream, let's yep. take Cabo, let's take Chipotle, let's take Shake Shack, all mm-hmm. your favorite fast casuals, right? Mm-hmm. Their average store cost just to open a store is mm-hmm. $1.2 million and goes all the way up to $2.7 million That's insane. Just to open the store. Damn. Uh, their payback periods are 16 months all the way up to 50 months, mm. right? So, and then their AUVs, like their average unit volume of what they do in revenue out of a single unit across the board on mm-hmm. average, it ranges anywhere from like 2 million to 3 million. Mm. In our case, and, and by the way, let's think about those numbers again mm-hmm. 1.2 million to 2.7 million just to open up a store. And, and the time frame, too. Like, and uh, the yeah, time frame, yeah, yeah. slow, expensive, sticky, heavy real estate. Did you mention that like a year? Did you mention anything? Like, how long does it take to, to get like a full chip? Many open months. Up? Many okay, months. gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And, and the reality is, like, in our case, so our mm-hmm. unit, you've seen them, they're large, right? Mm-hmm. That's a full blown restaurant that can do uh, north of 1.5 million in revenue per year. That's incredible. How much yeah. do you think that costs to build? I'm sure you, you're taking uh, a wild guess. I couldn't, I couldn't even. But it's um, a full-blown restaurant that can generate $1.5 million. It's I've, made all the lumen. What, what would you say? I've seen it, and I feel like I'm going to go between 30 and 50 k Because no. I, I feel like less than that? No. It's oh, close okay, to okay, that. A okay, little, gotcha. Less than 100 but, but still, like, a lot less than $1, Dude, one million. You know what it would cost? Uh, for if anybody else was to do what we do to build that? Oh, like if it wasn't like a process and everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 250K. Yeah, so you got to So that way would down. typically yeah. cost 250K and even north mm-hmm. of 300K. Mm-hmm. We do it for less than 100K. That's crazy. We can crazy. make 20 of them per month. And our payback periods mm-hmm. are less than six months. And our profit margins crazy. are better than everybody else too because think about labor. Mm-hmm. You can you can handle one million plus worth of revenue mm-hmm. out of a unit, one single unit that costs less than a hundred thousand dollars to build. The mm-hmm. payback period is less than six months. Uh, and how many people are you staffing at a given time? Mm-hmm. Two, three, maybe. Yeah. Right. You know what Sweet Green they just announced per shift on average how many people they have in the kitchen in the restaurant, mm-hmm. the whole restaurant. 
20. 20? Oh, wow, damn. 20. That's a lot of people. I went to Chick-fil-A, and Chick-fil-A is one of my favorites. I love Chick-fil-A, yeah. just not not even from the food standpoint. I don't like the fact that they cook in peanut oils, but um, mm. beyond that, like, what they stand for and their scaling and their trajectory and their volume is insane. Mm-hmm. But even then, they had, like, 15, 16 people. When I yeah, that's there. crazy. But so, it, yeah. economics-wise, nobody has mm-hmm. ever done what Ziki is doing. I, honestly, it's it's absurd. But you guys are crushing it. I mean, so... And that's pre-automation. Just, just oh, say. before you get the... Yeah, we don't yeah. even have the robots in the units yet. Oh, they're so going to be in the units. They're gotcha. going to be in the, the next generation. This is what the next uh, wave of units are going to look like. Oh, damn. Can I see that, actually? Yeah. Let's get a... Should we show the camera? Yeah, show no? the camera. Okay, here we go. That next generation of units are going to be ridiculous. Built-in yeah. speakers. We're going to have a, a mothership uh, tablet. Like, a te- like Ziki's similar to Tesla, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Number one is, for those that don't know, we raised our seed round from GigaFund. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out to raise five million. GigaFund did all five million, that, and then we oversubscribed it with more money, more money on top of mm-hmm. that. And GigaFund invested at a time when we had one location, less mm-hmm. than ten employees, and not a lot of revenue at all, like less mm-hmm. than fifty k in revenue. Mm-hmm. In seven months, so we closed GigaFund's money, mm-hmm. right? We go from one location and less than ten employees to in seven months, ten locations and over a hundred employees across the company, mm-hmm. from doing less than fifty k a month in revenue to over. 500,000 a month in revenue and growing it's a hockey stick curve our Mm -hmm. charts I could literally pull it up and Mm -hmm. show you Um, every month has been an increase and um, just imagine with the economics I gave you the fact that labor cost isn't even nearly how low it will be once robots are oh for sure we're going to reduce labor cost by 50% not replace humans how many people will you still have in the unit while that's happening it'll probably be one at some point in the future Uh, because the robot's going to be able to make bowls burritos and quesadillas and everything gotcha that's crazy um for people listening, can you walk us through the current Ziki experience? Like, I walk up to a Ziki truck, and then what's my what happens? What do I push? What, yeah, all that. Yeah, so you walk up to the unit, and the first thing you'll see is like this giant, bright pink modular restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, the color is going to attract you first because it's just like a very vibrant, fun color. I, I think it just boosts your mood by looking at it. That's what I was going to ask. Is I have a question. Like, why did why did you choose? Is that why you chose pink? Yeah. Like, okay, the, cool. Just there's, there's, nobody else is using it, and also it's just like such a fun color, and it embodies mm-hmm. the brand, and that's what it is. It's like mm-hmm. sweet green. You know, um, they feel like walking into a library, and Ziki feels like going to a nightclub. It's yeah, a yeah. big difference of experience. It really sticks out, man. It like when I'm driving, out, like, I'm just like, oh, Ziki. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And also just from down to the music we play and the, mm-hmm. the slogans we use, we're bold. Like our mm-hmm. billboard in downtown, which I'm sure you've seen, it's mm-hmm. just like Ziki is the best food ever. That's the billboard, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so you'll walk up, you'll see a touchscreen order kiosk, and you can just order right there. And then next mm-hmm. to the touchscreen order kiosk, there's a giant huge windows. So you're watching mm-hmm. the chefs cook the food right there and then a pickup window at the end. So mm-hmm. it's like order watch your food being cooked pick up um, but there's also a QR code next to the kiosk so if you don't want to order on the kiosk you can order from your phone and there's QR codes on the benches and um, on the signage nearby mm-hmm. so basically we've rethought the entire uh, order process and we, we are redefining what it means to be a restaurant so mm-hmm. like the restaurant industry is been archaic for many many years yeah that's where i draw the comparison to tesla and i don't want, i don't want to lose that thought because you know when you think of a business like tesla tesla and ziki tesla on the simplest level what do they do they sell cars mm-hmm. but on the back end it's wildly complex mm-hmm. automation gigafactory tons of software fully autonomous electric right so complex mm-hmm. ziki's the same way 
on the simplest consumer-facing level, what do we do? We serve mm-hmm. food. Yeah. On the back end, it's wildly complex. Mm-hmm. Gigaziki, uh, commissary, logistics, supply chain, agriculture components, software, mm-hmm. same things going on here. So the way that Tesla re-architected the car industry and rethought the whole process ground up, you know, like the, the regenerative braking and the touchscreen mm-hmm. tablet, we're doing the same thing with the restaurant industry. Love that. So, um, and we're really, our, our comparables and our competitors are not Sweet Green, Cava, <laughs> Chipotle, Starbucks. Yeah. Those groups, they're more akin to, say, Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. And we're Amazon that bought Whole Foods. Yeah, for sure. I love that, man. And, and why, the, why the logo? Why the logo? All right. Well, well we'll put share, it up on the screen, too. I'm going to yeah. share a, a story with you on this uh, podcast, which is going to be mind-blowing. And actually, I never shared this either. And this one's quite personal. Okay. Um, so I've never talked about this publicly. No joke. Okay. So I was, like, on the fence about it because it was pretty recent. But mm-hmm. interestingly enough, the logo is the tongue. Right, mm-hmm. so we'll put it up on the screen. Yeah, I designed this logo about I don't know ten months ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, I want the tongue because the tongue can symbolize eating. Your mouth's open, like when you're putting a big bite of food in your mouth, mm-hmm. but also it embodies the, the edginess and the, how fun the brand is, mm-hmm. right? And it's a little flirtatious, and it fits the pink and that mm-hmm. that tongue logo. So yeah, we're talking like ten months ago, right? Mm-hmm. That tongue logo was on every napkin, every cup, every T-shirt, everywhere, every mm-hmm. single day. I'm seeing it like thousands of times. Like mm-hmm. it, it's programmed in my brain. A few months ago, I, I start feeling something on mm-hmm. my tongue, mm-hmm. and the girl that I was dating at the time is a dental hygienist. Mm-hmm. So her whole job, her whole like what she does for a living is being in the mouth basically and mm-hmm. you know cleaning teeth and inspecting and looking for things in the mouth mm-hmm. that's her, her job yeah facetiming her i go yeah we're just talking casually i'm about to hang up the phone and go to sleep and i go yeah and you know like by the way i've had this weird feeling this weird thing on my tongue mm-hmm. i've had this weird feeling on my tongue for like almost a year mm. and i didn't think anything of it i was just like whatever like canker sore whatever yeah and she freaked out. Like, she was like, what do you mean you have something on your tongue? Like, are you kidding me? You yeah. even got it looked at. It. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, we're booking you an appointment. We're going to do it ASAP and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So she booked a bunch of appointments, whatever. Fast forward, I go to the impo- appointment. There's like a, a small growth in my tongue. Mm-hmm. They end up doing like an excision and sending a, a sample piece of the tongue to a lab. Comes mm-hmm. back. It's tongue cancer. Gee, I didn't even know you could get tongue cancer. Okay. Jesus. It's tongue cancer. You can't script this yeah, yeah. in a movie. Mm-hmm. I designed that 10 months ago. It's because God was putting it there mm-hmm. intentionally for me. That's was, crazy. God was literally, that was God. Yeah. How are you going to tell me otherwise? You're going to tell me it's coincidence that I make this tongue logo. I'm seeing it a thousand times a day. I put it in, in thousands mm-hmm. of people's hands. And then where do I get cancer? On my tongue. That's crazy. So I go and it's this whole thing. And like, again, it's like the first time I'm talking about it. But just like recollecting the steps. So I go... They're like, listen, we're going to have to go through a bunch of tests, you know, CAT scans and all this kind of different stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how serious is this? And they're like, look, it's very unusual that you got this at your age. And it almost feels like a case of bad luck in a way, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I believe that because I think that everything's intentional. But mm-hmm. they go, um, we're going to do CT scans and blah, blah, blah. So for like months and months, I'm uncertain because they're like, we don't know if this has spread to your lungs and chest and head, yeah. which means you would have to undergo chemo and blah, 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 blah. 
So for months, I'm not talking to anybody about this. The only person that knows is me mm-hmm. and her. And then eventually I told my team because I was like out and about going to appointments nonstop. And then a week before I told my family about the surgery and I ended up having a, a surgery where they cut out the cancer. Thank mm, God. Nice. Everything good. Like they removed it and that's it. And like they say, you know, there's a chance, less than 1% chance of it ever coming back. Awesome, I believe it's fully eradicated. But that's a very important and defining moment of my life because if you ask me what the most challenging moment of my life was – um, it, I would say it was previously like my, my dad had gotten sick and it was that before many years ago when, when I was in college but up mm-hmm. until this point now it's this mm-hmm. because you're uh, so now I just turned 27 I'm 26 at the time right mm-hmm. this a few months ago you're actually confronted with death because you have the doctor saying well you know this may very well just spread throughout your whole chest mm-hmm. and lungs yeah, and, yeah. And, and you're going to have chemo and you're 26 and you're what the fuck? Yeah, like, like what do I do to nowhere. do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah out yeah. of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So your whole perspective shifts. In my case, mm-hmm. it brought me way more close to my faith. I prayed like crazy, and I, mm-hmm. you know, it really, I really tapped into that. And I've always been a religious guy, but mm-hmm. that tapped me into it even further. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, we didn't miss a beat. Yeah, we didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. I had that going on for months. We mm. opened 10 locations in seven months. We raised all this venture money. We fucking executed and crushed it, and nothing stood in the way. And mm. I think that embodies everything at ZP. Our number one value is that we have faith. It doesn't matter yeah. what's going on in, in the world. It doesn't matter uh, if markets are this, markets are that. That brings me to the point of fundraising right now, mm. the climate. Markets are crazy, blah, blah, blah. Investors aren't writing checks. It's like, what a fear-driven mindset. Mm. Markets are always going to go up and down. There's always going to be crisis in the world, and there's mm. always opportunity in crisis. It's like so ridiculous that you have this herd-like mentality across Silicon Valley and in all these mm. uh, venture institutions where one gets a little bit afraid, and then they all back, back away, and they're all terrified of writing checks. Mm. It's like... Guess what, investors? Uh, similar to the stock market, nobody, nobody in the stock market, it's the only place in the world where people mm-hmm. don't want to buy things when they're on sale. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Things are on sale. You should be deploying tons of capital right now. Yeah. And you should be making, taking all the risks because this is where you're going to have the biggest deals of your life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, the markets are crazy and the global economic – when is that not – it's so cyclical. It's like, okay, if it wasn't 2008, then it was at some point in the 90s. And guess what? It's going to be in 2030. And it's mm-hmm. like – you're going to change your strategy around fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when, when all these things were happening and all these lay, layoffs were happening uh, just a few months ago, and mm-hmm. it, this is like before uh, SVB collapse and everything like that, everyone was laying off thousands of people and I was hiring like a maniac. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, fine, give me that talent. Like yeah, you yeah. have the best talent and you're getting rid of them because you're scared? Yeah, give yeah. them to me. Yeah, yeah, give yeah. them to me. We'll take them. Yeah, and yeah. we did. Yeah. And we did. And now we have some of the best operational people on the team and everything like that. And we got to where we got. So my point is, like, fuck fear. It's, 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 such, a, it, it's such a liar. Mm-hmm. It's such a trap. Mm-hmm. And it applies to founders and investors. Mm-hmm. Founders can't be fear-driven. You have to make decisions before you even know if they will actually work. You have to believe mm-hmm. that they're going to work and trust your intuition and take the risk. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes with investors because not everybody's cut out to be a true founder and entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can, can withstand the battles and the wars and everything that you have to go through. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. Yeah. You, you might think – people might think, oh, they're built for this. Oh, anybody can do that. No. Mm-hmm. There's a special set of people that are capable of building the greatest and most significant companies on the planet. They're the Elons, they're the Nick Nanakoses, they're the the few select. And then the same rule applies to venture. You might have gone to MIT, you might have gone to Harvard, you might have gone to Stanford, and you think you're 
the best investor of all time or you think you have what it takes just because you, you went to Harvard? Mm-hmm. No, investors have a gift like the Masayoshis of the world and like Steve from Gigafund and those people that have that, that ability to identify that and take the chances and do those things. And mm-hmm. Brian Metzger's of the world and one of the best investors of all time. Mm-hmm. These are the are the the people that take the chances and as a result, like mm-hmm. when everybody ran this way, they they stormed forward. Yeah, yeah. I love and that. And that's how their success was built. So mm-hmm. I, I had to go on a tangent about that because it's just facts. I love that man. And to to um when you guys raised from Gigafund, like, I, I'm trying to put, I'm to figure out how, how to word this. So when you come into the the, the pitch, uh, they don't typically invest in like food, right? Like in that space, like it's mostly like tech and that kind of stuff, or like hardware. They don't invest in food. But that's what I was gonna say. So like, you come in, like you're not a food truck, but like the overarching idea is like, okay, this is a food truck. How do you immediately like get rid of that kind of like um, that mindset? And then put them into what Zeke actually is. So I think when it, it, while we're on the topic too of raising money, like mm-hmm. I think for me, I'm a very charismatic, high energy founder, and mm-hmm. I think that you can't pass on an investment on Zeke unless you meet with me on, in person mm-hmm. and you actually see the operation in person. Yeah, we're not going to have a Zoom call, and you're not going to tell me that. Oh, like we just can't get around to it, or we don't understand the business, or mm-hmm. what? It's not going to work. Yeah, come and meet me. You want to meet me in person and then pass? Fair game. Yeah. yeah. But you have to meet me because the energy is infectious in mm-hmm. person and the business speaks for itself. And then you can sit at Ziki in mm-hmm. our downtown location, 3rd mm-hmm. in Congress. Mm-hmm. And you can sit there at 12 o'clock and you can watch waves of people, waves of people going and eating and freaking out and putting their friends onto it. Try the smash burger. I've never been here before. It's amazing. I eat here three times a week, five times a week. Mm-hmm. So there's that in person component when mm-hmm. it comes to defining and categorizing Ziki it can mm-hmm. be a little bit challenging at times right mm-hmm. for me yeah. it's clear but also you do have to think through a business that has so many components because mm-hmm. it's a business of complex coordination yeah, yeah, yeah. like Tesla right but mm-hmm. you have to simplify it so we, what do we do at the simplest level we serve food so what's the vision becoming the fastest growing restaurant company on the planet and mm-hmm. how are you going to get there on the back end now with a fully mm-hmm. vertically integrated factory model with unstoppable unit economics that had never been seen okay that's clear um, but I'll give you an example. We were going to set up company insurance. Mm-hmm. None of the insurance companies could classify the, us. Mm, they were, gotcha. It took forever. They were like, are you a factory? Are you a restaurant? Mm-hmm. Are you a, what are you? Yeah, yeah. And so finally, we, we got a really solid company that was like, yeah, like you do it all. And we love that. Nice. I love that. Very cool, man. Sweet. Um, I'm going to skip through a couple of these. W- one thing you mentioned earlier was the whole seed oil thing. Yes. I know nothing about seed oils, man. So if you could kind of just walk me through what seed oils are, why they're, I didn't know if they're good or bad. If you're mm-hmm. like, so there's seed oils in this, I'd be like, sweet. So I don't know yes. anything about so that. So basically, back in the early, you know, earlier part of the century, we never had seed oils mainstream okay. and in every single item that we eat. So if you go mm-hmm. to your pantry, you go to the grocery store, I, I challenge you to pick up an item and find an item that does not have soy lecithin, canola oil, palm oil mm-hmm. or any kind of seed oil so these are these are oils from seeds right mm-hmm. so like um, canola oil is one of the most common ones it's pretty much in every single fryer across yeah. every single restaurant in the world well not the world because other parts of the world don't use seed oils mm-hmm. the, U- the, the US has a very poison toxic food system so mm-hmm. they call them industrial seed oils they were introduced about a hundred years ago and then if you watch mm-hmm. the chart of how they climbed you'll see that mm-hmm. they're across everything massive mm-hmm. massive growth of the introduction and implementation of seed oils throughout mm-hmm. our system our body can't break these down 
Mm. Your body actually holds on to the fats of seed oils for six years. It's almost impossible to remove them after some time. Interesting. Think about it. You have to eat multiple times per day, right? Some people eat three times. Some people eat once. Regardless, it's they're almost unavoidable. Yeah. And so basically they, they, they extract the oils from the seeds. They heat them to extreme, extreme temperatures. They produce a lot of like linoleic acids, which your body can't break down. And then they also put carcinogens in the seed oils and then gotcha. you ingest those. And so it, mm. your body can't react to that well. It doesn't sit well with your body. Inflammation. So so there's charts and I'll share. We'll put them on, on the screen. Mm-hmm. The introduction of seed oils going like this and mm-hmm. then diabetes, cancer, Hormonal imbalance, depression, right along with the introduction of big seed oils that have completely taken over everything. And so back to basics are the best. Mm -hmm. You know, back in early America, families were eating what? Raw milk, butters, Mm -hmm. and everything like that, right? Just pure ingredients from the earth, Mm -hmm. and they were not obese. Yeah. They were not obese, and they were eating a lot of red meat, Mm -hmm. and red meat's great for you. Mm -hmm. And red meat's great for you. You go to a grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. You you have a carton of pasture-raised eggs, even though it's from a grass-fed farm and, you know, everything's done the right way and you and regenerative farm or something, right? Really, really good eggs. Mm-hmm. You pick it up, you look at it, okay. And you look at the ingredients and it says, ingredients, egg. And then yeah. in the same shelf, you're going to pick up a carton of this liquid egg base called Just Egg. Mm-hmm. This company, Just. And I don't mean to attack them because, look... I understand how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, but we're talking specifically about the food system and ingredient mm-hmm. quality here. Yeah. So, you know, my, my best wishes of success to all these companies and founders. I know what, how tough it is to go through, so I don't want to attack them. But you pick up that bottle. There's like 17 ingredients of things you yeah. have no idea. Do I want to – just egg, but 17 <laughs> ingredients or yeah, whatever yeah. it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about just an egg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so obvious. And anyway, it, it's – by the way, they put canola oil in lawnmower. To nice. help fuel it, nice. And you think that we're supposed to be eating that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about this stuff, so I'm listening. Yeah, so <laughs> so seed oils are horrible for you. They even cause you to sunburn. There was an experiment. They took a group of two groups of monkeys. They fed the first group a terrible junk food diet full of seed oils. Mm-hmm. They put them out in the sun, gave them X amount of sun exposure. The second group of monkeys, they gave them a seed oil-free diet. They held, uh, fed them very natural fruit and butters and, and put mm-hmm. them in the same amount of sun exposure. Just about all of the monkeys in the first group uh, developed some form of skin cancer or some kind of terrible skin reaction, mm. and the second group, none. Mm. So even what you, your diet affects if you're getting sunburned. Right, so these seed oils. Long story short, is like, why did they get introduced into our system? Because they're cheap and they're scalable, mm-hmm. and the government doesn't give a shit and wants to basically poison people. You know, you could go to a place like Italy or a place in Europe, and you can eat three times the amount you're eating in the U.S., mm-hmm. feel lighter, and lose weight. Yeah, and then you come to the U.S. and you'll eat less and you'll feel like shit mm-hmm. and gain weight. Mm-hmm. That's why we have such a high obesity rate. So something's going on. By the way, there's an insane amount of ingredients that are banned in mm. Europe that are not oh, banned I've seen in that. the yeah, US. Yeah, yeah. So long story short, avoid seed oils at all costs. It's really not hard to do, but you just have to be mindful of it. Like I don't eat anything unless I pick it up and look at what's in it. Interesting. So. Yeah, my diet, I mean, with that being said, my diet is not very good. So, <laughs> But uh, it's making me want to get some Ziki after this. So I might have to go hit that up on the way home. Yeah, you should. Um, so what does the team look like? So you, you have your... Because you're a startup, but you also have the food truck thing, but then you also have like the, you know, the, um, the cl- you call it a cloud kitchen, what do you call it? Modular or restaurant. Modular restaurant, okay, gotcha. So you have 
where you're actually cutting the ingredients. You have the startup team where you're kind of like, you know, you have operations and you're right. working on growth. So yeah. 100 employees, 100 plus employees throughout the entire company. Gotcha. HQ is um, about 15. Mm-hmm. So it's everybody in the corporate office. Mm-hmm. Myself, you know. Is that chief, downtown or is it? That's that? on South Congress. Cool. Okay. Uh, myself, chief of staff, mm-hmm. you know, operations director, head of finance, head of marketing. Mm-hmm. Head of creative, head of supply chain and agriculture, right? So those core, yeah, yeah. core positions, which will scale, and we're not going to need uh, to have those same positions in every market we go to. Mm-hmm, They're the course. execs. Yeah. Um, then you have a lot of chefs mm-hmm. because ten locations were open from ten a.m. to three a.m. Mm-hmm. seven days. You're open till three a.m. Three a.m. I didn't. Know. Yeah, across every location. Seven. I days wish I knew that, man. I've been walking home wanting food so many we're times. The best junk food, dude. I didn't know that. Yeah. Damn. So over right. to 3 a.m. across okay. every location, seven days per week. So multiple shifts across every location. So mm-hmm. um, we have a lot of chefs. Another thing is that we have even more chefs because we have eliminated overtime labor throughout the com- company completely. Cool. Right. So that's how you lower labor costs and mm-hmm. obviously cap it at a certain amount. Uh, but then you have the factory and automation team. So, of mm-hmm. course, we just completed the kitchen robotics acquisition. Mm-hmm. That was seven months in the work. Major, mm-hmm. major victory for us. But that brings over 10 new employees on the team mm-hmm. so we can build the automation from our factory cool um and um yeah then you have the commissary which is another set of employees and out of there all the food prep is being done which mm-hmm. requires a, a significant amount of hands on deck because they're they're prepping food for 10 locations mm-hmm. and we also run catering out of the commissary because it's a controlled environment we do catering's a massive revenue stream for us very we cool even cater for Neuralink actually oh very cool nice yeah. that's awesome I cater for Joe Rogan too Nice. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Wait for like his podcast or just like for uh, his the mo- mother club. mothership, yeah. whatever it's called. Uh, not the mothership yet, but the la- uh, at Vulcan Gasco when they That's were doing that all those comedy sets. So we've catered for that group. So cool. What is like the? I don't even know how to ask this. What is a? I guess if you're charging, let's say you're charging fifteen dollars for one of your menu items, what is the catering kind of upcharge for that menu item? If you could break it down. Well, so for catering, we have an in-house catering platform that you just go to our website. Mm. Um, right now we're using Toast, but we're building our own with the launch of the course here, course here. Right? So that's set up like tray style, basically, okay. and it's more cost effective. Mm-hmm. But then we're on Easy Cater, Lunch Drop, Foodie, Fuda, all those other different mm-hmm. catering platforms, which is more individualized. Similar to like if you were to order on DoorDash, it would be exactly. yourself, but in mass. So we, we have different channels, but the main one that we do for catering is the tray style. So you'll mm-hmm. get like a massive tray of rice and warm, fresh seasoned pita bread and ziki cool. bites and... Um, and so, um, yeah, catering is a big one for us, and it's it's becoming more and more of a big focus for us, to be honest. Very cool. So, Wait, out of curiosity, do you like uh, Uber Eats or DoorDash more? Uber Eats. Okay, why is that? Um, Uber's genius, right? Oh, we yeah. just think of it. So, so here's one question that I get. Is it hard to navigate the waters of mobile operations and permitting and being a mobile unit? But, but what about permits and regulations? About, no, it's not hard. There's this false uh, narrative that it's hard to navigate the mobile food industry. Mm-hmm. Why Why do people think like that? Because who's had to navigate it? Local mom-and-pop businesses that... They haven't run a business before. They've never run a yeah, business yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Or even if they have, they've never run a food truck before. And they have to battle against, basically, uh, the health department. That's like the DMV, but worse. Mm-hmm. And it's so archaic. And then on top of it, you have multiple uh, health codes across different jurisdictions and counties. In our mm-hmm. case... We're not a local mom-and-pop business. We're venture-backed. We have extreme resources, a lot of teams. So yeah. the same way that Uber came along mm-hmm. and re-architected the global transportation system, mm-hmm. 
that's what we're doing on the mm -hmm. permitting. Mm -hmm. I love being mobile. It allows us to obtain permits faster and mm -hmm. it's cheaper. And we operate in different counties and jurisdictions right now. Mm -hmm. We've never had a hiccup. We know how to pass all our inspections and obtain permits. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very lean and efficient. But we have the resources. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, people, it's like if you equate it to the taxi industry, it's so hard to get the taxi medallion, blah, blah, blah. Then Uber comes along and boom. Think about 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. you would have had to go outside if you needed a ride, <laughs> waving your hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. hoping that a taxi may or may not ever come. Isn't that insane? Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. And now it's boop. Yeah. So um, I like Uber more uh, because they've created that network of drivers. They really were like the pioneer to do that, right? Of course, yeah. smart. Not only does Uber do it for cars, but then they say we have this network of cars. Mm. What else can we use it for? Uber Eats. And then you know what else Uber? So so. We do a lot of supply chain and factory ops. Now mm -hmm. they have Uber Freight. And Uber oh, that's Freight right. They do like, that. yeah, yeah. You, you need to ship. We need to ship a modular from our factory or 25 refrigerators to and from our factory. You call Uber Freight like an Uber, and a mm -hmm. massive truck pulls up. That's absurd. Genius. <laughs> that's absurd. I was thinking of this idea. Uber should yeah. do Uber Air. They should get into the airline. I think industry. they're. They, well, they. I know they. I think they've gone up and down with the chopper thing for years. Like I feel like they have they helicopters. Just buy an airline and call it Uber Air. It would be similar to like the small charter planes. Yeah, yeah, they could yeah, do that. They could yeah. buy a company. Uh, maybe. Who knows? But um, I also like their app experience and software experience better. Mm -hmm. If you go to DoorDash, it looks like you just whacked open a pinata and there's confetti everywhere. Or like you're using a mobile website kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, kind of like... It's yeah. just there's too many yeah. things on DoorDash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not simple enough. Uber's clean. The mm -hmm. experience typically has been better. I've had a lot of experience where DoorDash drivers didn't show up and also Uber's our biggest third-party uh, marketplace from the volume they bring us. Cool. That could be an Austin thing. Just mm -hmm. maybe Uber's more popular here. Maybe in Miami, DoorDash is bigger than Uber. But Interesting. We'll find out. Yeah, you will. You will. Uh, how do you for like founders watching this? How do you handle the onboarding process? So like, I mean, as a CEO myself too, like, <clears throat> I'm definitely more of a product guy. But it's like you know, now I'm hiring, hiring a marketing guy. You're hiring an agriculture agricultural guy. Yeah. How do you handle? hiring and training different people or like let's say you hire the agriculture guy does he already know what he's doing you're like okay hey, this is your job go do it you like you trust him like how does that work are you talking about hiring on the corporate level or we'll, we'll go we'll go corporate yeah, yeah yeah corporate level everything that i've ever done has been around intuition mm -hmm. i don't care what your gpa was i don't care mm -hmm. my one of my greatest strengths and this is not me bragging it's mm -hmm. team building so cool. i identify talent quickly mm -hmm. and, I, and i'm extremely decisive on it for example mm -hmm. the robot acquisition I had one zoom call with them mm -hmm. right after the call ended I emailed them and said we're booking your flights come visit Austin mm -hmm. because I already knew on the first call that I wanted to acquire them and I don't mm -hmm. think that they knew yeah. they didn't even because I was already thinking like that I met them and I was like the reason I'm, why am I flying them out I have to meet them in person mm -hmm. I'm an in person kind of guy so like I said about mm -hmm. the investors right away the energy clicked and I was like these guys need to be part of Ziki because we're mm -hmm. going to do way better things together. Yeah. Um, and so when I sit down with somebody, I've, I've interviewed every single corporate employee myself and mm -hmm. I will continue to do that for a long time. Yeah, I, yeah. Like that should be done by me at least for the first 500 employees realistically. Yeah, until it becomes absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, I, I feel them out. I, I get a sense on their commitment level. I get a mm -hmm. sense on if they fit the culture and that's one of the biggest things because I'm culture so yeah. Ziki culture is very intense mm -hmm. very energetic and 
very not politically correct. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I'm not here to be politically correct. Yeah. I'm trying to build the most significant company to ever exist in food, and mm-hmm. also I want to create a comfortable environment mm-hmm. where people can be free, and we can make jokes with each other, and people aren't going to be crying and being offended about every little thing that is said. It's mm-hmm. fun. Let's be real people. We can talk about God, and we can do whatever things we want and have fun here. Mm-hmm. Very professional and not disrespectful, but mm-hmm. let's have fun, and mm-hmm. we're not doing the whole uh, politically correct thing. And so I that's a good filter for me if people mm-hmm. come in and I get the sense that they're like going to be like super politically correct I'm like you're just not going to fit the culture and if you don't fit the culture we're not going to like working with you and mm-hmm. you're not going to like working here and then if we don't like working with each other then you're not going to perform also you don't really belong at Seeky mm-hmm. yeah. so you have to fit the culture you have to be energetic you have to be passionate and I, you have to get the feeling that like I can trust you mm-hmm. yeah no, I love that man um, do, do you guys have I don't know if you mentioned this. Do you guys do delivery yourself yet, or are you planning on doing that, or you just let Uber and DoorDash that's handle when, that? So that's uh, you asked before. At what point do you? Yeah, think you can cut off. Um, yeah, yeah. Right now, it's not practical. Yeah, to yeah. Try and create. It's kind of yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna leverage those marketplaces. They've mm-hmm. been around for decades. They've raised mm-hmm. billions of dollars. Yeah. They have insane infrastructure. Let them handle delivery. Mm-hmm. In the future, maybe we do acquire yeah, a yeah. company and run it and integrate it with the Zeke app. It's certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. Maybe we acquire an autonomous delivery company. It's robots mm-hmm. or something like that, or right? drone delivery. Well, I don't know, but um, I'm not saying we won't do it in the future, but I am saying we won't do it in the near mm-hmm. future. Like the percent they take is enough for, or is, is worth it enough for you to be like, we're not going to fucking... Well, I'll <laughs> tell you why the importance of building the Zeke app when it comes to profit margins, right? And so... If you straight up just receive orders from DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub, they take on average between 20 and 30% of a single order from mm-hmm. the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. We're building our own technology, right? The Zeke app. Mm-hmm. DoorDash, for example, has a API, mm-hmm. which you plug in that API into your software and it gives you access to all their delivery drivers. Oh, cool. So when a customer orders through the Zeke app, they're going to place, say, a smash burger from the South Congress location mm-hmm. for delivery to their house. That was ordered through the Zeki app, but DoorDash, because we've integrated their API, is facilitating that delivery on mm. our behalf to the customer. And the customer is paying the delivery fee to the driver, but we're not paying the fee to DoorDash. Interesting. Gotcha. On okay. the order. Very cool. So okay. customer pays delivery fee, no fee for us from DoorDash. Very Whereas cool. if they go straight through, you know why? Because mm-hmm. if they order through the Zeki app, they are our customer. Mm. If they order through DoorDash, that is DoorDash's customer. Mm-hmm. If if you order through DoorDash right now, mm-hmm. you're technically not a Zeki customer. You're a DoorDash customer. Mm-hmm. You order through them. You know why? Because you might order the Greek salad from Zeki, and then DoorDash is going to take your data, which they don't let you own, which, by the way, Travis Kalanick is legaling up right now big time and getting ready Against to DoorDash or Orwin? Oh, gotcha. And respect to him for doing that. But mm-hmm. obviously his motive is for his platform. <laughs> of course, yeah. Right? But yeah, still yeah, yeah, a good yeah, thing yeah. nonetheless, and it needs to be addressed. And yeah. he's, a, he's a, a beast when it comes to navigating legal, right? Because mm-hmm. with Uber, he, he had to kick down many doors oh, for and battle oh, legislation. Insane. insane, yeah. But if you order the Greek salad through DoorDash, then the next time you log into DoorDash, they're going to say, Hey, Corey, you like salad. Why don't you try this sweet green salad? Here's $5 off. So it's great. Thanks, DoorDash. You just gave our customer to sweet green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas... You order through Ziki, we have the data, we own the data. We're mm-hmm. saying, Corey, thanks for ordering Greek salad. Based on your order history, we know that you like it. You should try our feta fig salad now. Mm-hmm. Here's $5 off retention. Love that. Increase the LTV of the customer over mm-hmm. the long term. 
Love that. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to get the Zcap. Maybe an early beta user, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> that's to. great because we, we're accumulating a list. So love to. Put you on that. That love to. Great. And all the homies would love to also. Okay, <laughs> so good, good. Let me no, know. that's very helpful. We would yeah. definitely put you on that. Of course, man. Absolutely. Uh, are there any partnerships that you guys do or collaborations, like a social media gurus, or you have like some big chef you work with or anything like we that? We just had Carnivore MD. Okay. Paul Saladino, his doctor, he's got over 1.3 million followers. Okay. He's basically cool. like the, the father of this anti seed oil movement. Mm-hmm. He's the guy. Mm-hmm. He's the reason, basically, mm-hmm. that his influence on my personal life, mm-hmm. he influenced me so much when I started following him that I became completely seed oil free. And then mm-hmm. I said, I eat at Ziki every day, and if I'm seed oil free, Ziki needs to be the oh, same. Oh, so it didn't way. start seed oil free? No. Oh, interesting. I, okay. Around very early, though, it did, like basically mm-hmm. month two. Gotcha. Um, because I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. And then I started following Paul Saladino. He's on Instagram. He's Carnivore MD. Like mm-hmm. over a million followers. Huge following. Um, and then basically I was like, well, we got we to do this for Ziki as well. And mm-hmm. so we cut out all seed oils and we went with a super holistic, amazing approach. Very cool. He just came to Ziki last week. It was very full circle for the team mm-hmm. because he didn't even know the impact he actually had on Ziki being seed oil free. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, even from his visit, we got a huge boost, like over 3,500 followers just from him posting nice. a story in a day. And um, it, w- it was incredible to meet him. He was mm-hmm. awesome, and he's he's the guru. Very cool. The so if you're looking to, like, learn more about it, follow him. Yeah, I got so much stuff to do after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I know I really, for being in the fitness industry, I really know very little about the actual health side of the industry. So something that I'm always working on. So my, my friend, Sydney, actually, she runs a um, healthy cooking company, or cookie, cookie company, and she was just on Gordon Ramsay's uh, Chef show, like the, the startup okay. sh- chefs. I could see you being on that show and being like <laughs> a huge hit. Uh, I'm going to literally hit her up and see if I can get an intro for you because like basically they take 12 young startup chefs that okay. are running cool like kind of tech friendly startup companies. Okay. They put them in like a Gordon Ramsay competition. Okay. And you, I could so too. I, I can see you on that show. <laughs> like you, you would, you would kill it on that show. So I'll, okay, I'll hit her up good. about yeah, that. That'd be great. Um, I could also play the Gordon Ramsay role. Yeah, no, yeah, you, could, you could, you could just be like, yeah, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. So with with so many allergies, into I feel like everybody, there's every day there's a new allergy. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you guys go about, you know, generating your menu? Like worrying about, oh, someone's gonna have a peanut allergy. Like, how do you guys go about that? We're just very specific and open and transparent about what it contains okay. and allergies, and also we're we're working with this company right now. Um, We've been working with them for a few months, and they're analyzing every single micro and macro ingredient and nutritional breakdown of Ziki. So cool. very soon, we'll have a full-blown nutritional data, you know, mm-hmm. outline for every item: fat content, sugar content, calories. Like Love that. we've been in huge demand mm-hmm. for that. We get asked all the time, and we keep telling them like we're working on it, and we have been. So yeah, but it's yeah. nearing the the finish line, and that'll be public soon. Very cool. And one thing I forgot to ask was, and I don't know if you can answer this, but you probably can't uh how did the acquisition come about or what are i don't want to say term because you can't say that probably but like did you buy them outright are they kind of like they got equity like how what is that process i can't get too specific on yeah, yeah exactly the structural yeah. terms of yeah. the acquisition but what i will say is this is not the first acquisition that i pulled off in the company it's mm-hmm. just probably the most significant mm-hmm. um and what i will say on it is that it was done in an extremely lean unusual fashion cool. and it was a brilliant you paid them in ziki food credit that came along with it for sure <laughs> yeah, well, that's go. what we do i mean yeah. right outside of our office we have the, the ziki location and it's been essential Very cool. for us because we fix so many issues there and oh so cool constantly iterate menu items there and we are hands-on right 
very cool. Right next to us. So. Does most of the staff eat there during the day then, or yep, okay? Do. Yeah, they get a free meal. Oh, I love that, man. Very cool. Okay, sweet. Um, honestly, man, the rest of my questions are mostly about like you know target market that well, kind the, of stuff. The, yeah, the kitchen staff gets a free meal. The corporate staff gets. It. Discount. Okay, I was gonna say that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, gotcha. Okay, I was gonna say I was like that's a lot of that's a lot of free yeah. ziki, man. Um, well, sweet man, I think we covered uh, most of what I wanted to cover. I mean, kind of just you know your guys' growth plans, how you guys built the company. Is there anything else that I missed that you would want to cover? Let me think. We talked a lot about food. Um, we talked a lot about brand seed oils, the funding, um, factory economics, the acquisition. Miami's next. I would just say, like, to the Austin listeners, you know, mm. if you haven't tried us out, try us out. Also, I would say to the Austin listeners, if there are things that, you know, if you're a customer mm. and you have feedback for us, like, we want to hear the feedback. So mm-hmm. please shoot us an email um, or shoot us a DM or, you know, we have a link in our bio on Instagram as well, which is a feedback form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to hear how we can make it better, right? Because yeah. the food's exceptional, but it can always get better and it will continue to get better. So, Give us feedback. Let us know how the order experience can be better, the food experience can be better. Um, but, I mean, I think we covered a ton. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like, um, you know, I'm super energized by everything right now. Very good, man. Like, I'm happy to have shared a lot of things on this podcast, which, mm-hmm. honestly, I didn't anticipate to. Yeah, but good. when I'm flowing, I'm flowing. And that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do a great job of making the guests feel comfortable, and you have a good space in here. Appreciate and, like, it. you obviously have experience in doing this. So, mm-hmm. you know, you... You're, you allow the guests to flow, which is a good thing. So keep doing what you're doing as well. And Appreciate I'm just it. Just like glad we got to do this and crush from, it. From from uh, from Sky House to uh, <laughs> to the podcast, That's man. Right. Pleasure to have you on Thank here, you man. Corey. That's why we Thank strive, you. man. Appreciate good stuff. It. Yes.